0: The scripture reading is Matthew 4, 12 to 17. Matthew 4, 12 to 17. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. land of Zebulun and Lamb of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Good morning. Hope you have your Bibles along this morning. Uh, We're going to be taking a bit of a journey through a few different scriptures. We are in this series on the Lord's Prayer and focusing on what the significance of it is. I want to tell you a story to begin with because this, uh, this scripture that was read and this setting is Jesus just before the Sermon on the Mount. He is preparing and he has been preparing for the ministry that he feels called to. And it is noteworthy that this passage uh, and his comment about uh, the the kingdom of God comes right after his time of temptation uh, where he was being tempted. And clearly, as he begins his ministry, he begins preaching about the kingdom of God. And so uh, we want to understand what this phrase means, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do, do we really mean that? And um want to just share with you, there was a a woman by the name of Barbara Brown Taylor. She tells the story of her, her nephew, Will. It was his first birthday party, and the family was gathered around, traditions, cakes, all that kind of cake and and ice cream and all that stuff and everyone was gathered and in the middle of all of this gathering uh, little Will uh, decides to start doing a new dance show for everybody and he's dancing around twirling and uh, he was had all kinds of arm work going the whole family was circled around admiring this when his little cousin Jason couldn't stand it anymore because Will was getting all of the attention. And Jason, charged through the circle, put both hands on Will's chest, and shoved him. Will fell hard, hitting first his rear end, and then his head went crack as he fell backwards. He looked very surprised, and he let out a howl of pain, and his mother hugged him and helped him to his feet, and he calmed down. The first thing Will did what would you think that he would have done? Think in your mind, because I'll tell you what his choice was was between the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of heaven. Oh, how powerful, and we'll say a bit more about children in a little bit, but he tottered over to Jason, and he did something that many were brought to tears by, he didn't do what was typically done. He put his arms around Jason and lay his head against the mean little boy's chest. Taylor says, at that moment, all my Christian conviction went right out the door. She was ready to, to discipline and all of that, and it melted away in the context of what this one-year-old had just demonstrated. Truly, the kingdom of God. I think that we understand that the kingdom of God is very different from what we think of as the kingdom of this world. Charles Allen in his book, God's Psychiatry, said, Thy kingdom come means I am willing to surrender everything I possess in order to possess God. God demands our all or nothing at all. So what, what is the kingdom of God? And we want to look at that. Some believe that the kingdom of God uh, is different from the kingdom of heaven. Actually, uh, they're really referring to the same thing. It is clear that both phrases are referring to the, to the same concept. The phrase of the kingdom of God uh, occurs 68 times in 10 different New Testament books. While well, the kingdom of heaven occurs 32 times, all in the book of Matthew. And so uh, it's it's only one of the authors that consistently used the kingdom of heaven. Uh, but at the same time, Jesus himself used them interchangeably. When he was speaking to the Christ, the rich young ruler, Christ uses kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven interchangeably. Quote, then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, In the very next verse, Christ proclaims, and again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. It's very clear that there's an interchangeable, it's the same thing that he's referring to. There is no distinction. So what is clear is that the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God are not very compatible in, their, in leading people to two completely different eternal destinations. The word kingdom in the original language means rule or reign. God's kingdom is unique. It is not a human kingdom. Uh, Earthly kingdoms rise and fall, but the reign of God will prevail and last forever. In the kingdom of God, you have some different kinds of things. The poor are blessed more than the rich, unless, of course, there is righteousness. In the kingdom of God, when you get hit on your right cheek, you willingly turn your left as well. In the kingdom of God, someone asks for your coat you give them your shirt as well. If anyone asks for two shirts, one of them is shared with someone who has none. It is a despised Samaritan who is respected for his compassion. In the kingdom of God, nobody is forced to live in poverty. Everyone is treated with dignity, no matter the amount of their productive work. The last go first and the first last. The nobodies receive honor at the feasts. In story after story after story in the New Testament, we see that Christ turns the reality of this world on its head and establishes a different call, a different pattern, a different way, a different understanding of what real life and love is all about. In the Old Testament, even the prophet Micah wrote of this kind of a change of society. In chapter 4, verses 3 to 4, he said, Nations will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Na- nation shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and none shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts Has spoken. And even in Isaiah, the prophet wrote about the rejoicing of Jerusalem where there would be no more weeping. So the kingdom of God brings a change to what we live in and understand from simply this world's point of view. We're really talking about two things we're talking about a radical change in our society. But you can't have a radical change in our society unless there's a radical change that begins within us. And that is the most important thing. So let's look at a few references because it is interesting, as you'll see when we go through these passages, you'll begin to see that there is a progressive movement uh, in these passages That was progressive partly because it took a while for the disciples to understand. They kept hearing it. They kept seeing Jesus refer to it. They kept trying to understand it. And more and more, the more they did that, the more they were, he was leading them to to the culmination of what the kingdom of God is intended for. And let's see that. The first is this. The kingdom of God is not of this world from another place. If you turn with me to John chapter 18, and this was the story of the Jewish leaders trying to get Jesus crucified. And they, they took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. So Pilate came out to them and asked him, what charges are you bringing against this man? Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. And then they said, but we have no right to execute anyone. Pilate then went back into the palace and summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? I am a Jew, Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. Or Pilate said, am I a Jew? And he tells him that tells Jesus, well, your people handed you over to me. What is it that you've done, he asked Jesus. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now, he says, my kingdom has come from another place. So when we're trying to take the kingdom of God and scotch tape it, onto whatever we want or like in this world, we are going to be disappointed. It's not going to be particularly effective. Second thing second thing that scripture tells us, that the kingdom of God belongs to those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Now, many people focus on, oh, it's for those who are persecuted. Yeah, that's nice, that's good, that's very ju- uh, uh, just thing to to do and to think and, and a perspective to have well they're persecuted they you know they, they deserve something uh, but notice they are persecuted because of righteousness. I'll tell you persecution is hard to deal with. I, I know what it's like to go to school as a seventh grader and live in the fear. Tremendous fear every moment that someone would knock my wig off, I had lost all my hair to radiation I didn 't look good. I felt self conscious and and did not like it. I lived with that fear that someone was going to push me down or someone was going to just play a joke and come and and try and knock it off my head. Um, It only happened one time, and it just totally terrified me even more after that. But in Matthew 5.10, Jesus says, at the beginning of his Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, those who are persecuted because of righteousness are recipients of the kingdom of heaven. Not just because they're persecuted, but because they're willing to take a stand. We just sang this morning, I will not be shaken. I will not be moved. I will take a stand for the cause of Jesus Christ. And in doing that, I will be willing to take whatever persecution is given in order to be able to honor God and to recognize the power of Jesus Christ in leading the kingdom. Third, the kingdom of God belongs to such as these, he said. And he's referring to children. In Matthew 19, Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Now what did he mean, such as these? Did he mean all children? So all children I don't think that's what he's saying. He's saying whether you're an adult or a child or anywhere in between, it doesn't matter. When you are such as these, the kingdom of God belongs to you. What is he referring to? Well, here are some characteristics we know about children. First of all, there's a sense of innocence. They haven't been indoctrinated into all of the ways of the world. They haven't been taught how to To fake and you know they they, it's not long till they learn it because they see it it, in many of the adults around them or uh, in the culture around them at school but there is this sense of innocence a a child trusts in their parents ultimately it's that kind of trust that is Jesus is, is calling for here There's a a desire to please their parents. They want the affirmation of their parents. And Jesus is saying, the kingdom belongs to such as these. If you have a desire to honor God and and to be pleasing God in the way that you live and with your righteousness. Honesty. Children can be brutally honest in making observations. Uh, and, uh, and we don't sometimes like to hear that when, when we, when they'll make a comment, well, you know, yeah, dad, you always do this or, or, you know, of course, horror of all horrors. If you're out with somebody else and they go, oh yeah, well, my dad does that. Yeah. Okay. Thanks a lot. Where was the family non-disclosure clause? You know, uh, we get embarrassed by that, but they, they're brutally honest in saying what they think and see and what they observe. Another aspect of, of, of a child's faith in their, in their trust and their trust in, in their parents, that, that they're also focused on simple things. You know, you get the best Christmas gift in the world and they're overplaying with the box or the paper. You know, it's the simple things. And Jesus is saying it's that simple trust, simple faith, simple living, simple joys in life that I'm calling you to. And the ability to experience great joy. There is nothing greater than to hear a child laugh. That laughter is tremendous. Jesus says the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. He's saying I'm calling you to put your trust in me. I'm calling you to to just simply have faith, follow me, and live in a way that pleases me. A fourth thing that Scripture tells us about the kingdom of God uh, is that the kingdom of God is near when Jesus is present. Now, think about this. Uh, In Mark 1, chapter uh, chapter 1, verse 14 to 15, Jesus announces the good news, and it says this. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. What does he mean the kingdom of God has come near? He's saying, I'm here the fact that I am present tells you that I am bringing the kingdom of God into the reality of this world. Notice what Jesus says when he is at the other end of his ministry, and he's sending out the 72 to be witnesses and evangelists for for Christ's kingdom. In Luke chapter 10, he's instructing them in this way. When you enter a town and are welcomed eat what is offered to you, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we will wipe from our feet as a warning to you, yet be sure of this. This, So this is, you've been rejected, you've been slammed, get out of here, we don't want to see you, we don't want to hear it. We don't want anything to do with your faith and and this talk about righteousness or this talk about Jesus. Yet be sure of this, Jesus tells them to say, the kingdom of God has come near. It has come near because Jesus' servants, Jesus' disciples are going out and witnessing and bringing the reality of Christ. He goes on to say, I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. So this idea that the kingdom of God is near, it's always when Jesus is around. So we who have accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, we who have committed our lives to follow Christ, and we who have committed ourselves to be the church together, we as a community can say the kingdom of God is near. When you go out to a restaurant, and believe me, within the last 24 hours, we got another one of those half-hour waits, and after 40 minutes, they informed us they wouldn't be seating for another hour. Were we upset? Yeah, if we're honest. (laughs) We went to a different restaurant. You know, we don't like to have to wait. But in the way that was done, and it wasn't done with chewing out or, you know, condemning or whatever. It wasn't the greatest experience. I'm not sure we would go back right away again. But what about the person that's there having to tell people that who didn't even make the decision? My question to you is, in those situations, do we understand that in that very moment I have a choice? Am I going to have the kingdom of God be near to that person even when they're telling me something I don't want to hear? Are we going to be challenged to actually represent Jesus and represent the kingdom of God because it is different from the kingdom of this world? In the kingdom of this world, we would have Chewed them out, ripped them a new one. Whatever you, whatever phrases. Be careful what phrases you you use. You you would have every right to, right? It's it's my right, my right. I've heard that phrase so many times, and I want to tell you, what right do we have to claim the forgiveness and the grace of Jesus Christ? We have nothing. We've got nothing. No rights whatsoever. For not taking the responsibility of our own brokenness and sin. But that's the negative side of it. The positive side is we had a waitress at the new restaurant we went to. Some would say she was terrible. She mixed up this order, she missed one of the things we ordered entirely, hadn't even put it on. She did this and this and this, but she was nice and she was trying. And we had a choice to offer her the same grace that, that we have been given. And we had every right in this world to just blast her for it. Is that real enough for us? Do we understand that every day in our lives, we have an opportunity to bring the kingdom of God into reality? And that's why this last one is so powerful. In Luke chapter 17, verse 20 and 21. And when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them because they were demanding. So when will the kingdom of God come? And again, notice the irony of this. How clueless they were. The kingdom of God was standing right in front of them. Hello? But they're demanding, you tell us when the kingdom of God will come. Jesus says, "The kingdom of God cometh not with understand, with observation, neither shall you say, Here it is, or there it is. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. It's within us. When we pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, we are praying that that happens through us first. And when we, when we do that, it unleashes a sense of power and a sense of joy like nothing else. So how will the kingdom of God come or his will be done except that it comes through us? I just want to share with you a couple of pictures, a couple of scenes that give a bit of a description of, uh, of what we have here. Um, the first one is is very simple. It's a, probably a, a little bit blurry, but you can just see this. You know, it it almost looks to me like it would be a bit of a toss up as to who needs to help who. They're both <laughs> probably both a little bit teetery, but but what does this say for someone who doesn't really have the strength or the uh, the ability, and yet they see as the Good Samaritan does. You see this someone in need and you go to them and help them in any way that you can to just even a little bit of steadiness and especially crossing the street or being in the street there's concern about that. This is not supposed to happen in this world, right? I'm busy. I've got time. I've got someplace to be. It's countercultural. It's counterproductive and yet it's done. And it proclaims a different way. Let's go to the second one. The second one is really interesting. I did a little bit of research on this picture. So just to let you know, um, I I tried to read the. Uh, I I ended up googling. It was where I thought it was. I, you know, I worked one summer in West Liberty, Ohio, at Adriel School, and there is a high school south of of West Liberty that is a combined school of West Liberty and Salem. West Liberty-Salem was a school that was known for a series of years of championships in cross-country and track. I mean, they were renowned across the state of Ohio and even into some national rankings as a team that was producing incredible runners, people that were phenomenal In their achievements for the sport. And this is actually from uh, a race uh, that uh, ended up going into the national headlines, in which uh, a West Liberty Salem runner, uh, Megan Vogel, stopped running their race in order to help carry the opponent, the enemy the one we're trying to beat, all the way across the finish line. Now that is not of this world. That is not right. You don't do that. You go for your accomplishment, your achievement. This world says you go and do it for yourself. That's their problem. I don't have to mess with it. I don't have to deal with it. And certainly not in a race where my placement is going to be of more importance to, in order to beat that other team. I hope you're starting to see the contrast of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. And Megan got national attention for that act of kindness. Let's go to a third one. In this particular picture, we have a, a particular run. This was an Arizona grandfather who gave thanks to the angels who helped him finish a half marathon after he had a rather violent fall. And obviously, you can see from his head, he had, he had been injured. The grandfather thanks the angels who helped him finish the, all the way to the finish line. He said, quote, The two angels came out of the sky. That's what 73-year-old John Wilkie says of the men who helped him off the ground and across the finish line. And again, what would warrant that? Because that's not of this world. You don't do that in this world's kingdom. You just don't. Let's go to a fourth one. This is an interesting one. In this particular one, an Iowa football player And this whole thing has gone viral after a spontaneous act of sportsmanship on the field. Earlier this month, senior wide receiver Mario Hofer was playing uh, in the Charles City High School's football game against New Hampton High School. During the fourth quarter, he stopped to help a New Hampton player, junior Carter Steinledge, who was lying on the field with a leg cramp. Here's what he said. He said, "I saw it all happen in the play," Hofer told them. "I'm running from the far end to get over there and I see him go down." At first, I was going to run over to high-five my teammates, but I saw him grab his calf. He said, "I was cramping during the game myself, and I knew that he needed to, he, and he said I knew that I needed to help this opponent." I saw him go down. I didn't see anyone go over there to help him," Hofer added noting that the athletic trainers hadn't reached the player yet to assist. He said, I know how this feels uh, and wanted to help him get through this cramp until someone could come over. That's not what we have been trained to do in this world. Come on, this is your opponent, the enemy, the people that you're trying to beat. Let him have his cramp and deal with it. It's his problem. And what what are my teammates going to say to me? Will I get chastised by the coaches? Will I get, you know, chewed out? Will I get pulled out of the game? It's this simple. There is a need. I'll do what I can. That is what Jesus said. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That is the best description of The kingdom of God there is in all of scripture. We treat others in the way that we would want to be treated. Once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God will come, we referred to this passage earlier. Jesus also says the kingdom of God in some translations is in your midst. This is bringing the kingdom of God into reality so in the kingdom of God we don't worry about what we'll eat or drink we learn to trust in God that's from Matthew 6 in the kingdom of God we give up things that are of value to us so that others can have the things that they need in the kingdom of God we learn to love our neighbor as ourselves in the kingdom of God we learn peace within the midst of tragedy in other words that that we have hope and we have encouragement in the kingdom of God, we learn to hunger, to do that which is right and just, rather than hungering after the things that we want or think we can't live without. In the kingdom of God, society changes because we first have changed. In the kingdom of God, God rules over all things, including society. And in the kingdom of God, God rules and reigns through Jesus Christ in our hearts as individuals. In Matthew 25, if you have your Bibles, turn to verse 34. I won't read this entire passage, but you will understand it from these verses. Then the king will say to those on his right, "'Come, you who are blessed by my Father,' Or needing clothes and clothe you, when did we see you sick or in prison or go to visit you? And the king will reply, "Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these my brothers and sisters, you did for me." Matthew 6:33:33 33, 33 says it well, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Your needs will be met. God will take care of us. But seek first the kingdom of righteousness. When we pray that kingdom come, we're actually accepting the offer that Jesus makes to us in Revelation 3.20 when he says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, then I will come in. You see, our walk with the Lord is not once and for all Kind of thing. It's a daily relationship. We need to regularly recommit our lives to God by yielding ourselves to Him as subjects of His kingdom, the kingdom of grace. I close with this. You maybe have heard the name of James Irwin. He was an astronaut, he was one of the few men to walk on the moon. As he stood upon the lunar landscape and looked up at the earth, he prayed for the first time in his life. He thought about the strife among the nations, poverty, hunger, and rampant evil. And he thought to himself, quote, What is more important than man walking on the moon is that God should walk on earth. This is the desire we express when we pray, Thy kingdom come. May God's kingdom come through us in new and fresh ways every day, every week. And may we experience the great joy of the Lord in his righteousness. Amen.